Hi, Matt. Hello. Hi, Tara. Hi, Connie. Hi, Matt. So, thank Hi. you both. Are you guys like in different rooms? We, we are. are. I love that. Okay, so this is the first time that we've ever had um, a married couple on here. So it's very, Ooh. I don't want you to get too dirty, okay? But um, <laughs> I am so um, honored, thrilled, uh, just tickled to have you both on here and especially talking about something that is so deep. Um, and I just wanted to, before we get started, make it very clear that if there is ever a question or a place that this starts to go that you're not comfortable with, just say, let's skip that, or um, I'd rather not talk about that, or you know, whatever, this is your safe space. So I want you to feel comfortable in sharing whatever makes you comfortable and that you feel that other people might connect with. Um, I think that, you know, before we talked, Terry, you shared that you just basically had an encounter with someone that you had never met that has had an experience with suicide recently. And I think that suicide touches far more of us than we would like to admit. Um, and I think that this forum, this platform, um, hopefully will allow the two of you to speak openly and then people that listen will also feel as if they're not alone and that hopefully they can connect with with both of your experiences. Sounds good. I'll That's warn the exactly why I want to do this. And I'll so, warn the listeners that I tend to overshare. So if there's a place where you want to fast forward, go ahead and do it. <laughs> no, no, there's there's no such thing as oversharing. What we may do is just do, you know, like um, this is podcast number one of five. Um, <laughs> if if we get, you know, 40 minutes in and we're like, yeah, this is, we could keep talking for like hours. Sure. Um, but so Matt, I want you to go ahead or, you know what? I want to leave it open to either of you um who would like to basically go first and talk about why we're here uh, i think i should go first to set the the understanding of what happened feel free is that okay with you tara sure okay first of all i want to let everyone know that's listening to this i never thought i would commit suicide or try to commit suicide obviously i didn't succeed i'm here today because of some fine neighbors, some great first responders, uh, helicopter pilots, uh, surgeons. I'm here because people cared about me. And I realize that now. Um, at the time, I didn't realize it. At the time, I, I thought that I was just a burden to everyone. So it can happen to anyone. This depression thing is, is totally physiological that makes you seem crazy if that can uh if anybody else can understand that i'm now medicated and i'm now doing great um i i tweak my meds from time to time as needed um but 
I affected other people. And I think, you know, one of the people that I affected the most is the person I love the most, and that's my wife, Tara. Um, and so I think we're here to not only share my experience, but also, you know, Tara's experience and how this affected her and other people around me. And have you two talked about this with like a therapist or anything? We've, we've talked about it extensively. And, and before we jump in, I, I think I'd like to set the stage with, with what happened. Matt, is that okay with you? Um, I, I'm sure you can go into details if you okay. want. I don't know if that's necessary, but. Well, from my perspective, um, mm -hmm. things with Matt and I in our life um, at the time that this happened, we were in um, our, our marriage, our life, our finances, um, we were in a, in a state of chaos. Um, and I knew that both of us, I, I was having extreme anxiety that was leading me into depression of just not wanting to deal with anything. Um, I knew that Matt was depressed. Um, we both knew it. We were in a situation where we, Ironically, um, I worked in the mental health system for a couple of years at the very beginning of my career, um, but both of us being in the state where we were, um, ironically, all of the tools that I knew and that I thought that I had seemed to have gone out the window when we were living in it day to day, kind of in the weeds and not being able to see beyond. But um, I had gone to spend the weekend um, with my mother that was only about 35 minutes away. Um, and my mom and I were at the pool. Matt and I were not getting along, but talking on the phone during that weekend. Um, and the last time I spoke to Matt, he was very upbeat and telling me how much he loved me. And I felt like, okay, things are gonna be okay um, in our marriage. Things are moving forward. The next day, I'm at the pool with my mother, and my phone was in my pool bag, obviously, and I pulled it out after being there for a couple of hours to having uh, 50 missed calls by um, a, a family member and a couple of very close neighbors, um, and I couldn't get in touch with anyone when I tried to call back. Um, I opened my email to find Matt's suicide note and um, read the suicide note and desperately tried to get in touch with anyone, was obviously calling him incessantly. Um, then I finally got through to someone and was informed that he had almost successfully taken his life um, and that it happened in my bathroom and that um, he was resistant to help, um, physical help. And that finally they had gotten him into the ambulance where they were forcing blood into him through a pressure cuff because he had lost so much blood at that point. Um, and then the next thing I heard, and I couldn't get to him from where I was, it, we were on the Eastern shore. If anyone's from the Eastern shore on a Sunday, um, route 50 is, is a parking lot. And I literally couldn't get 45 minutes from where I was to him or to Easton because there was no way that traffic wasn't moving. Unless I had a helicopter, I couldn't get to him. The next thing I hear is that he's being flown from the first hospital to shock trauma um, because they can't treat him at the first hospital and I can't get to him. Mm. Um, 
And so I was on the phone with the people at Shock Trauma were wonderful. Um, I spoke to the surgeon. I spoke to several nurses that were caring for him. Um, I vaguely remember talking to him for about a minute um, and then back to the nurses again. And I couldn't get to him. Um, and I'm somebody, I'm the type of person that I like to, I, I want to jump in and fix everything. And I couldn't get to him. As a matter of fact, the... I couldn't go see him because there wasn't a room in the hospital for them to admit him into. So he's kind of in the post-operative care unit for two days. So I couldn't see him for two days afterwards. Um, they had successfully, the surgery was successful. I talked to the surgeon. So from a physical standpoint, he was going to be fine. And I remember going with my mother to shock trauma from the Eastern shore. And I remember in my head feeling all kinds of emotions, you know, obviously um, the, for me and in and, and therapy that I went to by myself after for months and months after this happened, um, you know, it was, he didn't die. Thank God he didn't die. But for me, it was as if I had experienced his death. Right. Um, and I was very sad and very upset and very um, angry because he and I had talked about, he had promised me, even though he was depressed, we had talked about and had that contract that he wasn't suicidal and that he wasn't going to try to commit suicide. We had had that conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And the last phone conversation I had, things were so upbeat and it sounded like we were going to be able to talk things through and it felt like a um felt like he had died and at the same time it felt like it was the biggest betrayal all of a sudden i didn't know the man that um has been my best friend for at that point 20 years um and all at the same time i was so grateful that that he was okay but i was angry and yeah. And I felt like, you know, because of our personal life was in such disarray, some of the things I was angry about was, okay, fine, cop out, take the quote unquote easy way out and leave me with the mess and then leave me with the mess of, and, and the horror and the shock and the sadness that you're, you're gone and you're dead. Um, and then the wave of gratitude comes through and then the wave of, you know, there was a lot for me to sort out. And I finally settled into a place, it took me a few days um, after I saw him, where I settled into a place where I, I, I came up with this analogy. If somebody has heart disease and didn't know it and had a massive heart attack and survived it, um, it's not that person's fault. There's nothing to be angry about. There's no, there's no anger in that person having a heart attack. Um, it's the, it's the aftercare of that following this analogy. Now that we know that we have major heart disease, it's, well, we have to change our diet. Um, we have to take appropriate medication. We have to take care of ourselves physically from an exercise standpoint. And so for me, I use that analogy and it really helped me through a lot of the, the close aftermath. Um, it removed that anger that I had. Um, but it also put the appropriate amount of responsibility on each of us. I had a responsibility to work through my own stuff on my own. Um, 
to help us through this marriage as well as our personal life that was in shambles at that point. But he also had a responsibility to care for his illness. And we have, we've have had a very codependent relationship. We talk about that openly. We've done that in therapy together. We've done that, you know, we, we do, I think, a great job of communication. It's stronger now than I think it's ever been. Um, but for the first time, I couldn't be codependent. Um, and I couldn't do the steps that, that he needed to do and that he was learning about and that he was committing to doing um, because I had to put my own oxygen mask on first. When you're in an airplane, the oxygen yeah. mask drops. Um, and, and really for the first time in our relationship, I, I understood that more clearly than I ever have in the past. Um, so for me, the immediate aftermath was coming to terms with, you know, this illness. I've always thought that mental illness is an illness. I've never thought that there's any shame that should be attached to it. And I was feeling guilty about my anger towards him. Um, and then my major things that I had to overcome and still are overcoming in some respects are that the guilt for knowing that there was stuff going on with both of us, the guilt for not acting and doing something um, about it because I feel like I should have prevented this. Um, right. And I still have trouble letting that go. And then the second major after effect that um, is getting easier now, five years later, um, is that there are times if I can't get in touch with Matt on the phone, if I'm away and he's at home um, and I can't, and I call him and I can't reach him, there are still times that that panic sets in and my mind goes right back to that day. And then I find myself calling him incessantly because has something happened? It took right. me about a year to trust him um, after he came home from the hospital. It took me about a year for me to be able to trust that I could leave the house for extended periods of time and come back and that he would, he would be alive and he would not have tried to take his life. It took a year for me to get away from that fear. Um, and still today that lingers. Um, but so for me, that's kind of the story and that's kind of the aftermath of, of what happened. Well, I thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think that your analogy regarding heart disease is on point. And I think that that's how we have to look at mental illness and depression as, okay, if we know that we have it, then we have got to do something to help it. Um, and that's, I think, part of the big, like, it's the big question mark. How do we do that? How, how do you, if you're depressed, you know, because, you know, we've talked about in other podcasts that the person that's suffering from depression often doesn't want to help themselves because that's part of the, you know, that's part of the depression. Um, yeah. is that you're in this darkness and, um, you know, you've got people saying, oh, you know, go out, go for a walk, <laughs> walk it off. Right. Um, and you're like, fuck you. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, um, I'm comfortable in my dark little shell here. Thank you very much. Um, I think that's like the biggest, that's the biggest piece of the puzzle is that where do we go from, here 
And before I, I want to ask about, I want to ask Matt and I want to ask you, Tara, about that suicide letter. So I, you, I don't want you to share any details with me, but I want you to share when you read that, what, what did you feel? Um, me first or when Matt, or you want to go to Matt first? Yeah. Tara, you can you can tell me how you felt, and then Matt, if you would, if you remember mm -hmm. what you would like to share, I would be very interested in knowing um, yep. the, the where you were. The suicide letter was quite long, um, and the one line that was in it, I no longer have it, um, but the one line that that struck me more than any part of that letter, and I'm going to cry. As he wrote, Tara, I know that you will hurt. I'm sorry for that. Oh. And that one piece is his compassion, knowing that I was going to hurt. But at the same time, he's going to do this anyway. Right. And that one line kind of wraps up a whole lot of what that experience was like for me. And today we talk about this stuff openly and um, we have, we use our communication tools that we learned in therapy well before the, I mean, years before the, um, he attempted suicide and today things are so much better, but that one line, yeah. um, just, I, I, obviously I still can't talk about it without getting emotional. Well, I can I can completely understand understand why. Um, Matt, do you remember writing that line, that particular line? So, it took me two weeks to write that. Oh my gosh! I was editing it for two weeks. Oh I was my. tweaking it for two weeks, and I sent it to friends and family with a timer on it through email through outlook you can if you didn't know you can send an email and set it yeah. forward and my timing was off that was the only thing that saved me and the reason that i sounded so upbeat the night before or the day before or the day of is because I had figured out the solution, at least my solution. Right. So you thought I no longer had to hurt, and I right. was, and I was closer to not being, feeling what I was feeling, and the the feelings are, and once you get to that point, once you start planning, once you start having dark thoughts, you know we were talking in the earlier podcast about the dark thoughts. Right. Those dark thoughts were happening, I don't know, a month before I even started planning. And those dark thoughts are simply, what if I just veer this car off this cliff? Or what if, you know, I wouldn't have to go to work? Or what if I, you know, stupid little things like that. People do have those dark thoughts, but when it, they become excessive, you start to dwell on them. Right. It's, uh, that's... immediate intervention, I think, 
Um, because after that, it's like somebody's already set to do it and they, they will push away help. Um, it sounds like you became like hyper focused on that. Like that became your. I did. I planned it out to the T, except for the timing. Uh, Matt, Matt, maybe I'm so sorry I hurt you. you. You don't need to apologize. You had a heart attack and you have an illness and you have um, worked so hard um, throughout the years and you have. Um, you know, you did the work. You d you didn't just go to therapy. You did the work. I watched you do it. I watched you do things that you thought were silly. I watched you do things that hurt you to do it. You've done the work and you continue to do it. You don't need to apologize. But I have a question because this is the first time I've heard that you wrote that letter for two weeks. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me then? Well, because you would have stopped me. I didn't want to, I didn't, I was, I don't, it, I, I can't say I was thinking clearly. <laughs> well, of course not. Right. So, and so I don't even understand it. I don't even understand how I became upbeat. That surprised me more than anything. I mean, I was really happy. I mean, all those feelings had gone away once I had decided, made the decision. The thing that killed me, Connie, is that he, um, you know, part of the chaos and the mess and me kind of just shutting down as well prior to this. We were just going through a really bad time. Yeah. Um, and we sleep in separate rooms. We always have. He snores. Um, you do too. <laughs> I, I, wait, all I can say is I'm envious. Continue. <laughs> well, and, you know, I like a heavier blanket we it just it's better for us if we sleep in separate rooms because prior to us making that decision and that decision was made like three years into our marriage um was that we were getting up in the middle of the night fighting because i would tap him on the shoulder to get him to stop snoring he would be hot because of the heavy blanket that i like to use and and you know it, when you're arguing at three o'clock in the morning because all you want is sleep it makes sense to separate and sleep in separate rooms look you don't have to explain to me i'm not kidding i yeah. have tried to convince my husband that that's what we should be doing and he's not going for it we visit we visit it makes uh, well that's that's what i'm saying i dig yeah. it i the, yeah. the the concept the idea genius to me genius. i never have slept well with others yeah but, but at any rate, my room, the master bathroom is where he chose to be in our garden tub. And my room um, was a complete mess. Matt planned this out so much that he cleaned up my room so that I wouldn't be embarrassed knowing that there were going to be first responders coming to get him. Oh, my gosh. So he cleaned the room so that I wouldn't be embarrassed about the mess that I had left behind when I went to go visit my mother. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's shocked this new information that you were writing that for two weeks, Matt. I mean, it doesn't change anything about how we're still recovering from this. It just that was new information. And, um, you know, Connie, the, the hard part being the spouse or the significant other or the family member is that um, 
and especially with us, Matt is honest. He is honest to a fault. He's so honest that when he's saying something in a group of people that I don't think he should be saying, and I do that little kick under the table, he'll turn around and look at me and say, why are you kicking me under the table out loud so everyone can <laughs> He's honest to a fault. Um, and it's a wonderful quality. Um, this, this was, to me... Um, the biggest lie that he ever told. Sure. It's a betrayal. And um, well, that lie was a betrayal. His mental yeah. illness is not a betrayal. And the lie was part of his mental illness. Of course. Um, but, you know, when I say that I'm angry and I feel guilty about feeling angry or that I felt angry at that time, um, you know, I just have to continue to reparent myself and say this well, is an illness. I want to take more responsibility because, you know, if you're in a court of law for murdering someone and you write a note about murdering them before, you're obviously had planned it out and it would be first degree, regardless of your mental state most of the time. So, I mean, legally, it's against the law what I did. Yeah, but and we know, look, 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 pardon my French, fuck the law because... <laughs> We know that the people, the, the dude that was just found sane for shooting the people at the freaking news station, we, mm. we all know that's not sane. That is not sanity. Right. Like, and for that just blow, that could be a whole other freaking podcast right. because the way the law sees what is sanity and what is insane, I just, I completely and utterly disagree you can't tell me that these didn't i just know mm -mm. well and, sure and when matt was not but what i'm saying is and i'm sorry tara to cut you off but what i'm saying is i i think i should be more culpable than just oh he's you know he had a an illness yeah i had an illness but i still made that decision i could have still told somebody but yeah it, it was my illness that made me not tell somebody i guess and it, it's just very it, it's hard to explain to people because it, it, well, it a lot is. of people are gonna you know and i don't care if they do i hope this helps just one person and if it does well, it's that, all worth it but but some people part, that is part of the illness is not telling yeah i mean that's that's the whole <laughs> I mean, th that's the piece of the puzzle and, if, you know, like, and, and people wanting to help, but we can't help if we don't know. And, yeah. you know, but that is part of that darkness is. Yeah. yeah. It's important to know that, you know, if you, if you have a family member that is depressed and hasn't been diagnosed yet, um, you know, especially if they're uh, around the age of, I don't know, 20 ish or, or, you know, a little bit older, that's when it, you know, really sets in and you should be aware of the symptoms. From coming from working in the mental health industry for, again, albeit a short period of time, um, a couple of years, I'm working with some folks that, um, with, with significant mental illness, um, paranoid schizophrenia, um, dual personalities, um, bipolar to the extreme, um, and these people were on my caseload, um, I, I would say that, Matt, you're right, the onset for a lot of significant mental illness is in that early 20s stage. Um, and, you know, 
Matt, have you shared your family history at all on, on the other podcast? I don't know. Um, but for, for the listeners, did you want me to? or did Yeah, you? I think it's important. Well, my, my mother was bi- what we know now as bipolar. Um, and her father, her grandfather, uh, successfully committed suicide. Oh, wow. uh, her mother was also depressed. Um, so depression ran pretty deep on my mother's side. Um, and I also uh, did plan out a suicide in like when I was 22-ish. Um, so that's why I went back to that age because that was the other time I had planned something. I, I had stopped myself, but I was pretty far into the planning. I didn't know. Was that... Was that depression um, spoken about in your family when you were younger? Did you know that that existed? Well, for me, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't understand these feelings. Um, well, how about your family members? Like, did you know? I didn't want to burden my family further. No, but your <laughs> other family members, Matt. Like, did you know your mother was depressed? Yes, yes. My mother went through extensive um, diagnoses. several of them and uh, many medications even um, uh, shock treatment ECT treatments which which are pretty brutal now and that's when you were younger yeah I grew up in that and my mom was in and out of the hospitals wow Um, so in and out of being able to care for me also and my father although he provided financially he was never demonstrative with anything so it was kind of, you know, we were really independent. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it neglect because, again, it's an illness. <laughs> so my mother sometimes just wasn't able, she wasn't capable of mothering. And when she did, she was an excellent mother. But um, she tried to kill herself several times. And Matt would yeah. called Matt would be called as a young adult to come and get. Is that correct, Matt? That you had. There was one time I had to leave work and I got fired um, from that job. I didn't care; it was a crappy job anyway. But yeah, I had to. I had to take my apron off and say I had. I left the line, the cooking line, and I had to go greet the officer who found my mother. Oh but, my gosh! You know, uh, she. She tried several times, and it was um, it was kind of nuts though to grow up in that. Excuse the pun. No, and let me so let me ask you this: Did you when 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 you were you know prior to your first planning, did you ever think of yourself as depressed or? No, I had no idea what depression was. They were they were calling her illness manic depression and i still had no idea what depression was we we weren't educated about her illness we we just were given it was given a label and these are her meds and these how she's she has to cope and that's really all we knew so we didn't really speak openly about it um because my parents were i don't know why they decided not to educate us maybe it was still the stigma yeah i was going to say it's probably the shame that that comes you know, that, that that's what we're trying to overcome. Yeah. Um, and I think, 
I think that's a really good point that you bring up because as to, to bring up, you know, I, I know of someone um, who has an alcoholic mother and I have been very open and direct with that person as that person has gotten older. And I've said, look, your mother's an alcoholic. You have to understand that your mother's an alcoholic and that you could find yourself in that same place if so you choose so while you're out with your friends you know this is when they had just started to drink um i was lecturing them saying you have to be the person that knows two might be your limit because you have an alcoholic mother i think we need to do the same thing for mental illness and we're not we don't do that and it's Al- not- I, I believe that alcoholism is a mental illness and, and ironically Connie, yeah. this is the first place like when Matt and I first met um, and and you know we're in that phase where you're on the phone um, for eight hours at a time or in that phase where we just you know couldn't get enough of each other's company one of the things that um, drew me to Matt was the fact that I grew up um, with a father who was addicted to drugs. Um, he died of a drug overdose when I was 18. Oh my um, gosh. I, when I was five or six, um, we had federal agents that would follow my mother and I as she walked me to school because my father had turned state's witness. I mean, I, I grew up in a very, um, and grew up fast and understood addiction. Um, and so we had very similar experiences and we connected there. We connected there very deeply. And one of the things that really attracted me to Matt was that he was enough of that bad boy, but yet here was this guy who was extraordinarily introspective and um, very willing to talk about this stuff on a very deep level. And that's like within the first 30 days of our relationship. I think we connected there on that deeper level. And, and I think that's why you know, that was part of our foundation. So to have this happen, um, it, it still amazes me that the amount of denial I think that I was in for what was going on, not only with me, um, but in our marriage and in our personal life at the time that he um, tried to commit suicide, um, I was, you know, when I look at it, it's a hundred percent denial and if i close my eyes and if i bury my head in the sand this is all going to get better and that's where my guilt comes from because i was unable and i you know that's why i spent so much time in therapy after this on my own it's not your fault i lied to you well it's it's neither of our repeatedly it's it's neither of our faults matt it's that it's it's amazing how um you know, just like in in um, an addiction in a family that has that addict addiction thing going on, um, and there's so much to read about all the different roles that people take on in an addicted family. Um, you know, this this depression, anxiety that we both share um, at different points is it looks very much like that. It's very easy, or it was very easy for me to just slip into that denial. And Matt, I'm not blaming myself. I did for a long time, but I'm not blaming myself now. But as we're talking about it and for the listeners, it's super easy to slip into that and just, you know, I call it close my eyes, put my fingers in my ears and hope that everything is going to get better. And, it, and, and action is the hardest thing 
taking action is the hardest thing when you're there. Um, and, and that's, I, that's the thing I think where our mental, where, um, where we fail from a society standpoint, where we fail from like mental health treatment standpoint is that there are all of these signs, there are, there is all of this stuff going on. And I kind of feel like everybody should have to take a mandatory class in, in high school that addresses, you know, just like we learn about sexual sex diseases in health class. I, mean, I think yeah. this should be something where people are formally educated, you know, yeah. Matt and I were formally educated. We both were psych majors at one point. Right. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Mental health should be at the forefront. And I don't think it should wait until high school because right. sometimes high school is too late um, with with what we deal with. And when I say we, I mean um, our culture. Yeah, humans, really. Yeah. Um, especially adolescence. I think that adolescence is such a critical time and yeah. that our brains are really going through so much. Um, I remember being 12, 13 and wanting, like thinking, is there an easy way for me to do this? Is there, like, there's gotta be an easy way. And I remember just wanting to be dead. And no one knew that about me. I mean, you know, I would listen to B104 and, um, you know, just cry for, you know, for requests and then have pity parties. And I mean, my emotions were so up and down that, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it's, it's crazy to think of, um, you know, the, the, to be that young and to not really understand what the hell is going on with your, you know, you do feel crazy. Yeah. And, and, add to that then the experience of a death of the person that's closest to me but he's not dead and that's the only way i can describe it um and that still haunts me today right well it's you're you know it's ptsd and it, it's and i feel like i inflicted this injury on you <laughs> you know so i have my own guilt um as i probably should no but you know it, it I, it's trauma I put you through. It's 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 a real trauma, and it's a you know, discussions like this obviously bring it bring those emotions up, um, but uh, you know most of the time we're able to move past it because I think that you know five years later there is you know there's absolutely light at the end of the tunnel. I, I feel healthy again. Yeah. I still I still show some signs of depression here and there. Um, I try to proactively do something about it. I'm very open with Tara. And we um, talk about it. When I notice signs, we talk about it. And yeah. recently, you know, we've been, <clears throat> again, you know, life happens. And recently Matt came to me and said, Tara, I'm, looking, I'm watching a lot of anxiety. And he's right. And, you know, he has said to me, perhaps it's time to address the anxiety and he's shared his experience strength and hope with with how he has experienced relief from that anxiety um so yes there's light at the end of the tunnel um i don't want to paint a picture that everything is all rose i mean we're a married couple that's been married now for how long matt 
23 years. Yeah, and been together for 20, 26. 26 years. Um, there's no perfect all the time euphoria in any relationship. Um, but I can't imagine life without Matt. And I can't imagine anything that could happen in our relationship that would cause me to walk away. Um, but, you know, it's a with with anything and including with mental illness and dealing with it in a marriage um it's 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 a conscious decision and i think we both make that conscious decision um to love each other even when we don't like each other sometimes and um i was talking about earlier today it's it's, it's kind of that greek word for one uh, one of the Greek words for love is agape, A-G-A-P-E. And, and agape is is about that seeing somebody at their humanness and accepting someone and making that conscious decision to love and care. Um, and, and I think that that's the one great gift that Matt and I have um, with each other. And it really is, I think, a gift that we, that we have. Um, but, you know, there are days I know that there are days that Matt has to make the conscious decision because I get on his nerves and I'm repeating patterns that he hates. And um, there are days that I have to do the same thing. But in that, we found um, comfort with each other and an ability to talk to each other and, and reach each other in, in a very deep way. But Matt, if you ever try to kill yourself again, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Well, and I think that your openness with each other is such a gift that you have given to each other. Uh -huh. um, I, I just, I think it's so commendable and I think most relationships lack that. So um, I think that you're where you are today because of you, the, the two of you connecting through your suffering. Um, as children, as you said, yep. and I think that that human connection has made you both stronger and Tara, you're the fixer. And yep. I think that you, um, you know, you feed from Matt and I think Matt feeds from you. So I think that you're kind of like a, a perfect little package. Yep. Um, but the problem with being a fixer, Connie, and the other side of this, not to kind of take this in a different direction, the problem with being a fixer is that there are times that, a lot of times, that I try to, quote unquote, fix things that he, A, doesn't want me to fix because he's handling it himself, B, right. doesn't want me to fix it because he doesn't see something needs to be fixed and it's in my head, you know, so that's, that's where the constant work happens. Sure. Well, and sometimes that fixing is is more internal, and it's um, exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> it's called <Yeah>. anxiety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's. I agree with you, Matt, but there's more to it than that as well. Sure. Um, but you know, that's that stuff. Trying to fix my father when I was five. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that. And, and we know what it is. And, and, you know, I have to be responsible to continue to work on my issues. Um, you know, I have, I've found for me, um, spirituality and, and, um, and I won't get into a ton of that, but I've found for me that that has helped 
me tremendously. But again, you know, I, I have issues I have to address. Nobody, nobody on this earth doesn't have things. No, we all, you know, we all do. And that's exactly why I wanted to, to do these podcasts because mm-hmm. I think everybody has something that they're dealing with. And if we just stop and listen to each other, um, not only does it increase the compassion, but it increases the connecting. And I think that when we connect, um, you know, pretty much anything's possible. I, I just want to really thank you both. Um, I definitely think that we could do a few more of these if you guys are both willing. Sure. But, um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy, hectic schedules. Is there anything that you guys would like to finish with that you feel that we didn't touch on? I just want to say, and then Matt, I'll let you go last. I just want to say, Connie, that I feel honored that you asked um, us, me, to do this. Um, And I, I really have a ton of respect for what you're doing. Connie, I I think it's, um, you know, it's that conversation that's uncomfortable. And we have a lot of conversations in today's society that are uncomfortable. And um, you've got a lot of balls, my dear. Well, I I truly appreciate, I appreciate both of you. I really do. Well, my sentiments are the same. I didn't know you, Connie, in high school, but um, we had the, you know, similar friends and Many times we would see each other in a bar. I always liked you, but I never knew you were so cool. Oh, <laughs> I'm 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 not cool anymore. <laughs> well, we're all dorks now, but um, but yeah, Connie, what you're doing is just so tremendous, and I hope someone is there caring for you as well, because you try to fix everybody too. <clears throat> Sound familiar? Yeah, well, that's that's part. Listen, part of me filling my cup is doing these podcasts because I want to make a difference and I really feel like everyone sharing their stories is making a difference for other people. And I've had people contact me personally, privately telling me that they listened to the depression podcast with you and Aaron and Sarah and that it was life changing for them. Good. That's great to hear. Yeah, it's just, it, and it only takes one person. If we are getting to one person and they don't feel like they're alone, yeah, then I feel like we've, you know, we've done what we're supposed to do and that's connect with each other. And I yeah. really, truly, I mean, you guys know I curse like a sailor when I, when I want to and, but I really appreciate and respect you both for being so open and honest and, and it's really what it's it's what changes lives, and I, I can't thank you enough for that. Well, also, I'm I'm also available one on one if anybody ever needs to talk. Me too. Please, you know, and please refer us if um you know you you're talking to somebody and they say, you know, and you get in your head, hey, Matt might you know be able to talk to this person, and you know, please don't hesitate to refer. I appreciate that. And I, I think other people will too. My email is tara.leitner at gmail.com. And um, if you want to reach, you know, either of us, um, shoot an email and we will um, 
the connect right away. Thanks, guys. I really, I hope you rest well. I hope you feel good about tonight. I know that you kind of went into it, Tara, with some mixed emotions. I hope that you feel better about it. Feel great. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Connie. Thank we'll you both. We'll, we'll do, talk we'll, soon. We'll do number two. Yeah, we'll do episode two, three, four, and five. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, love, guys. Love Be to your wonderful out. family. Yeah. Thank you. Hugs and kisses, Connie. Keep it up. Thank you. Appreciate you. Take okay, care. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. So go ahead and send that text. If there's somebody you're thinking about, let them know. Everybody's dealing with something. We all know that. Whether it's depression, suicide, I think we can relate when we share. Thanks for listening today. And this broadcast was brought to you by Kindness Tree Movement. With life-inspired designs, we're more than apparel. We're a movement. Go to kindnesstreemovement.com where every purchase gives back.